0: I first heard that song in 1985. That's 30 years ago, isn't it? (laughs) And uh, it was a time in my life when God was working on our hearts, uh, Jill and I and the family. And uh, every time I hear that, I go back to that time. I think that's what memory's good for. It takes us back to where God speaks to us. We were in the Philippines. Uh, So um, that has a certain memory for us, too, but... uh, Is he more wonderful to you today? That's the thing, isn't it? We say that and we sing it, but uh, how can we reveal it in our daily life? That's what we're going to do today. We've come to the Ten Commandments, God's promises to his people, I say. We're looking at the presence of God in our lives, and we started by looking at the Ark of the Covenant, uh, a box overlaid with gold, Uh, which the people of Israel had with them on their journey across the desert. And God said, for this time of of your life, my presence will be symbolic in that box. And we looked at God's presence. And then he said to Moses, put three things in the box. And the first one we looked at last week was the gold jar of manna. Remember, he fed them manna in the wilderness. Strange thing, because... It certainly sustained them on a daily basis, but it did not satisfy them. But he wanted that in the box. Now he says, uh, get the stone tablets that I gave you on the mountain and put them in. It's going to be a heavier box now. Put those Ten Commandments in there because I want them. And so as we look at them today, I think this is a strange decision too that God has made. But we'll read the Ten Commandments because we hear them quoted in our world a lot. The law of moses the law of god the ten commandments and uh they're pushed at us at certain times by certain people you should do this you should not do that let's read them and see god spoke all these words i am the lord your god who brought you out of egypt out of the land of slavery here we go you shall have no gods before me You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth below, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days your labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet want your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or donkey. Make that BMW or Mercedes or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So these are the Ten Commandments. And um, I've just been looking around the room, and I think I'm right in saying, I know I'm right in saying, I could look at every one of you and say, none of you have kept the Ten Commandments. And you need not feel embarrassed, because you look point back at me and say, and neither of you killed them. And the fact is that there's no one in this room who has fully kept the Ten Commandments which makes me wonder why God would want Moses to put them and keep them in this Ark of the Covenant as a memory. If you've ever had anything to do with making rules, you know that the rules need to be able to be kept. Uh, Some rules are made to be hard to keep. I'm not suggesting, but you try and put rules around the hours where your teenagers can use their electronic devices there will be pushback and scrapping and fighting but you could make a rule that might be able to be obeyed by them Uh, you wives though would know that you would never get a husband to agree to restriction of hours on their electronic devices you see we're like that and we have our own way but the rules can be kept keep off the grass i can keep off the grass Don't pick the flowers. I cannot pick the flowers. But all these ones that God gave us, why would he do that? Why would he want these things to be remembered? Well, there's got to be a reason, and I want to suggest to you that as we go through this, we're going to find this rather interesting. Because I believe the purpose of the law is to reveal the character of God. What's God like? We've not seen him. Well, he's like these Ten Commandments. And his desire is that we would be like the Ten Commandments. That we would do those things. But we know that we fail. And it seems that they're impossible to keep. And if you've been in church at any stage along your way or been around people in Bible studies, the word that comes up is sinner. We are sinners, they say. And so we have gotten to the mindset of understanding that sinners are who we are and we're bad people. But I want to just address that word sin for a moment because originally it had to do with archery. When they shot arrows at a target in a contest, some would hit the target and some would miss. And the ones that missed were put aside as sinners. These target these arrows did not hit the target, so they will not be counted when the scores are tallied. Now if it missed by just a fraction of an inch, it missed, so it was put aside. It's a sinner, this arrow. If it missed by this much, it was put aside. It was a sinner. And if by some chance the man with the bow was suddenly blinded by the sun and and pointed the uh, arrow in a different direction altogether from the target, it was still listed as a sinner. It didn't matter how much it missed by, As long as it missed, it was a sinner. So the word sin is not really an indicator of how bad we are. It's more an indicator of how good we are not. And there is a difference. Now, I enjoyed listening to uh, Dr. Felicia here telling about things, but I happen to know, because we were at supper together last night, that she's catching a plane this afternoon. I believe it's 5 o'clock. And so she needs a driver to get her there uh, by 5 o'clock. If she turns up at 5.01, the chances are the plane will have gone. She's missed the plane by one minute. But if in driving to the airport there's masses of uh, turmoil, traffic, and she gets there at 6 o'clock, she's also missed the plane. By one hour, by one minute, actually. If she forgets and shows up tomorrow at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, she still missed the plane. It doesn't matter by how much she misses the plane. She's missed the plane. And God is saying, in some way, we are all sinners because we've missed the plane. We've missed the mark. When I was a boy, uh, my father at times would cut a twig about this long off a willow tree we had in our yard. And the willow tree is very flexible. And he, being strong, would pull it around like this and, and get me to wind some string around this bit and this bit and then let it go and it would try to force back. But it was a bow for for arrows. And uh, then he'd make some little sticks with a groove that I'd put in. And so my friend and I would go over to the park and we'd have this bow and arrow. And there was something good about you put the arrow in and you pull it back on the string and everything's heaving, you let it go, twang. And it goes along. And then your friend has a shot. And then we go up in the air. How far can we get it to go in the air? How much along? And we would walk along the park and pick it up and shoot it again, shoot it again. Then we'd turn around and we'd come back this way. And it's quite good. For two young boys, that's some nice outing. We're out in the fresh air, and it sort of feels good to flex our muscle against that and shoot arrows. Well, then one day another kid came along, and he said, I've been watching you. i got a better idea. He said, I bought this old tin can. And over there, there's a stump of a tree. And what say I put the tin can on the tree stump, and we take in turns and we try to hit the, have the arrow hit the can. And well, that seemed a good idea. And so there we were. But very soon, what was an enjoyable day became a very frustrating day. Because frankly, the bow wasn't very well set. And more frankly, the boys were very poor in their aim. And we could almost get up and touch the thing and fire the arrow, and still it would miss. And so, whereas before, without any standard, just throw the arrow in the air, we were having the time of our life. Now, someone has set a mark, and we're missing the mark, and it doesn't feel good. And we just feel, wow, there's something wrong here. And in terms of uh, what God is saying to us, He says in His Word, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Well, we know that. I've told lies. I've wanted what somebody else had. I might have stolen an apple or two or a mango off the tree out there. Who knows? But we're not, I'm. I'm a sinner. I'm lawless. But then in another part of the Bible, he puts up this word through Paul. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So... To sin is to miss the mark of these Ten Commandments. To sin is to come short or fail, miss the mark of the glory of God. So it would seem that the law of God and the glory of God are somewhat intertwined. They're very close. If sinning is marked by failure in these two areas. So I think we know what the law is. We read the law. But what is the glory of God? I think if you read through the scripture, essentially the glory of God is the character of God revealed through his presence in situations. John, Gospel chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. He's talking about Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and John says, We saw his glory. The glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father. Well, John was not saying when Jesus was walking through the street, we saw a flashing light ten you know, inches above is the glory of God, the light of God flashing. We didn't see him change color or anything like the buildings do at night over here. What John was saying is we saw the glory of God. We saw how God acts when he was playing in the streets with the boys, the way he acted towards them. When he was with his mother, the way he treated his mother. When he went into the carpenter shop later on to begin work, the way that he was honest about the hours he spent. He paid his bills on time. He respected the toolkit and the things he was making. Then he started his ministry, and he started preaching good news, and he did what other preachers had not previously done. He marked out, shall we say, the less fortunate, the usually rejected people. So he crossed the street and said to the man who'd been there 38 years, Can I help you? Would you like to be healed? And he went to little children and he said, No, 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 bring the children to me. I'm all about children. I am the one up the tree. Who's this up the tree? Somebody who's hiding because he's a thief and a crook, taxman. Come down. I'm coming to your house for tea. He showed us what God looks like and how God wants us to look like, he'll behave. And I know that because when God created man and women in the Garden of Eden, he said, let us make man in our image. Now that wasn't the physical image because God is a spirit. This would be his moral image. Let's make these people with this potential to have the character of God so that in Turn, they can go out into the world and by their lives, they will reveal what I, God, look like. I am their maker, their creator. And they will worship me and they will get alongside. Well, that didn't happen. The reason God gave the law on stone to Moses up on Mount Sinai was because we... They at that time, but we have no, no better. We've let God down. We've not obeyed. We do not look like God in our daily behaviour, and uh, so God sent these things down. You shall not steal is not just because stealing is bad; it's because God does not steal. You shall not covet what your neighbour has, is is a good one, but it's because God does not covet. God does not murder. You go through the lists, and this is a statement of things that are true about the character of God. It's a statement of the law of God or the character of God. I mean, we grew up in school, and they had we had to quote the Ten Commandments every now and then, and it seemed like they had who who made these rules? We would say, uh, "Well, God did." And we had the idea that maybe God is looking out of heaven one day and he's shaking his head and the angel says to him, what's up? He said, well, look at those people I created to be like me. They're running wild. They're not anything like me. And the angels get around and say, well, God, you didn't give them rules. These people need rules if you want them to obey you. Okay, let's make some rules, says God. What's one? And the first one comes up maybe, well, murder. They're killing people. Okay, let's make that one. You shall not murder. And then another angel would say, um, perhaps, well, the reason they're murdering is because they want what he has, so they kill him in order to get it. So Okay, let's make one that you don't steal off other people. And then another angel says, well, it's the kids. They're running wild. Look at those kids. They're not over the place. They're just coming up to be adults that are out of control. Okay, says God, let's make one. Honor your father and your mother. Do what they say. And so they go on and they make a list and then God says, no, 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 it's too heavy now. They're all on the stone. Moses will never get down the mountain with those. We've got to bring it back. Let's make it ten. So they have a vote and they've got ten commandments and God puts them on stone and sends them down the market. That's not how the law came. The law is much more profound than that. The law is revealing what God is like. And so... (laughs) This is the character of God. What's the effect going to be when Moses brings this law down and comes face to face with the people? Well, it's not going to be very good because number one under this arm is you shall have no other gods and next to that is you shall not make a graven image of any god. And as he's marching down the hill, the people hear the word that he's coming back. He's been away 40 days. It's quite a while to wait. He'd gone up to the mountain. He said, you stay here. I'm going up to get a word from God, and I'll come back. Well, 40 days later, they would got tired of waiting. And so they'd melted down their gold, and they'd made an, an image of a golden calf. And they were dancing around this thing. You shall have no other gods, no graven image. And out through the clouds breaks Moses, and here it is. No other gods. They're worshipping another god. This, he hadn't even, they hadn't even read the rules, and they were breaking And Moses was angry, and if you know the story, he got so angry with his people that he smashed them on the rocks, the stones, that is. And God said, whoops, uh, no, you shouldn't have done that, because now you've got to go back up and get another set. And so there was a delay while he got that other set and came back. Well, here's the thing. Moses was shocked when he saw what the people were doing, but God was not, because God knew the heart of the people. And see, Paul, the apostle, would write about that later in, I think it's Romans 7, chapter 7, 7. He said, you know, in my life, I lived just like I wanted to. There was no, no tin can on the, on the stump of the tree for me to hit. I just lived. I just shot my arrows in the air and did what I liked all over the place. Until someone came and told me, there's a law you're breaking and then it wasn't so much fun, like my little bow and arrow trip. When I didn't know the law, I could live like I wanted to without any fear. But when someone tells me, it shows me how far I've drifted from God's will and from his place. And one of the things that God has to teach us, I think, is that not only have we failed to keep the law, We have no ability to keep it. It's not within our reach. And so the effect of the law is to reveal the failure of each one of us and not only our failure but our inability to meet the demands of the law. Jesus spoke about the Ten Commandments when he was on earth. Uh, hadn't been here long and he was down in Galilee and the word was out that Jesus would be speaking to the crowd. And so they gathered on the hillside, and uh, apparently it became a big uh, group of people. And you can imagine a couple of fellows wandering down to hear what Jesus has to say. What do you think he's going to say? They say it's he's talking about the good news. What's the good news going to be? And one of them thinks about it for a while, and he says, well, well, I th- I, I'm pretty sure that the good news will be he's going to uh, explain pull back on the demands of the lord he's a very tough god to believe to to follow he i think he's going to release some of them and his friend said why well, so do you mean like reduce them but maybe maybe there's only going to be six after today six commandments instead of ten that would make it easier because we're not doing very well with the ten and so as they sit down jesus gets up to speak and he starts off and he says um You've heard it said that you must not murder. And they said, yeah, 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 that's a good one. Well, he said, I'm going to change it. And they nudge one. and say, yeah, he's going to change it. Well, says God, Jesus, uh, before it says you shall not murder. But from today, if you just hate a person and don't, still don't kill him, you're guilty of murder. Well, what's that about? But he's gone on to the next one and he said, <clears throat> you know that in the law it says you shall not commit adultery. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Well, I'm changing that one too. Now, if you just look at a woman with lust, it's as if you've committed the adultery. And they scratch their head a little bit and think. But he's gone on and he says, you know how the the, sort of the rules are, you love your neighbor or your friend and you hate your enemy. I'm changing that. Now you still have to love your neighbor or your friend, but you also have to hate your enemy. The person who despises you and does bad things, you have to love that person. And they would look at each other and say, this is is not good news. This is terrible news. But God is not trying to push their noses in the dirt, as it were, or embarrass them. He's just saying to them what he says to us. On your own, you cannot meet the requirements of the law. On your own, you can never come close to revealing the character of Christ or God. You need help. And so he went on in that statement there on the hill to say, don't think I've come to abolish the law, which they rather hoped he had. He said, I've come to fulfill it. You can't get there on your own. There's no chance at all that you can ever fulfill these requirements. But here I come. And I'm going to do it for you. And so he says, through Paul, I have chosen to make known among the Gentiles the riches of the mystery of how to reach or to be obey the rule the law. It is this Christ in you, the hope of glory. Glory is what john saw in jesus it's not heaven he's not talking about heaven glory is what john saw in jesus in john 1 he says the word became flesh and lived among us and we saw his glory we've sinned and come short of the glory of god now paul says here's the deal the mystery to you is that how can anyone keep the ten commandments how can anyone reveal in any way the character of god well, there's a missing bit. And here it is. Now, with Christ in you, comes a hope of you hitting the mark instead of missing the mark. There's some other verses that sort of come along there. Jeremiah 31. I will put my spirit in you. Actually, Jeremiah 31. This is the covenant I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. So the the law in the Ark of the Covenant is sort of to be done away with. It sits there if anyone wants to read it. But let's do away with that now because I'm going to bring the law and put it into their hearts. Through a new covenant in Ezekiel, I will put my spirit in you. And these are prophecies of what would happen later when Christ came and Christ died and Christ was resurrected, having paid the penalty or bridged the gap between God and man and brought us back into a relationship potentially with him. He's taken us from the uh, consequences of our sin, which is hell, and to the consequences of the new life he's won, which is heaven. But God says, I'm not just really doing it for that. I want more than that. I want my life in you. I want my spirit in you to be allowed to have free reign because he will empower you to go someplace on the journey towards revealing the character of God. In uh, John 14, Jesus explained that himself. He said, the spirit of God has been with you, and now after I've gone, he will come and he will be in you. So... He doesn't say it in these words, but what he's saying is that the commands then of the Ten Commandments will look differently to you. You can't change them. You can't fulfill them. But my spirit within you, the life of Christ within me, can help us start on a journey where we can look something like what Jesus wants us look. And so we can go through these, um, uh, this list again. The law that commanded the impossible has become potentially a promise from God. So whereas I look at the Ten Commandments and it says, You shall not, with Christ in my heart, with the Spirit of God living in me, and His power released as I submit to His authority, you shall not becomes, it is possible for you to reveal this as a promise from God. And he says, uh, Paul puts a verse up there that's worth looking at. We who now with unveiled faces, open faces before the Lord, reflect His glory are being, present tense notice, we are being transformed into His likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Spirit. What I just said doesn't mean that we'll become perfect doesn't mean that something happened yesterday that makes me a perfect person. It doesn't say that nothing will happen until the future. It says that right now, you and I, as we sit here, as we sing his praises and as it becomes true in our hearts that we believe he's more wonderful than we we could imagine, if it comes true that on Christ the solid rock we stand and no other ground will will do. If we do turn our eyes on Jesus, if we do say, Hosanna, he comes, And we recognize him as such. If we understand that the life of the Spirit of God in our hearts is there to release the power and, if you like, the attributes of the character of God in my life, I can, present tense, begin to more and more on a daily basis reflect. He says from, as that verse continues, from one degree to another. So daily... We, we change into his likeness. You see that with children physically. Um, you know, I, I mean, we'll just use Pastor Mike and his kids. Uh, we saw them maybe three years ago, and they were, there they were. Now you we came back maybe uh, six months ago, and what's the first thing we say to their embarrassment? My, how you've grown. Uh, they've got taller, as if that was a shock. You didn't notice it because you're here every week and they just seem to go on and then that's how they are. But we were away and they come back. And uh, you go through phases. I got one. Oh, you've lost your hair. (laughs) Yes, I have. Um, That's happened daily. So my wife didn't particularly notice it. I think she did, but you don't see it. But there I was with hair and now I am with none. God is saying, Piece by piece, as you submit your life to me, I can change you into the person that you really want to be. But in your own strength, you cannot be. You might be here this morning and something in that list of Ten Commandments bothers you because it's uh, an attitude, a behavior that uh, has you in a scripts. Maybe not addicted to it, but something that uh, is constantly bothering you. You see that as the tin can that you can't hit. You can't, get, you can't reach the mark in this area. God says, I've got good news. With my spirit in you, if you submit to me and as you tr- entrust me, I can maybe dramatically but more likely incrementally move these things out of your life so that you can change from being the person you want to be. There's nothing between us. If God comes and He does this, this is spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is not just memorizing more verses of Scripture this year than we did last year. That's very important. But spiritual growth is more of my changing into the likeness of Christ. And the Bible says that one day I will be changed, and you will be too. There's going to be a glorious uh, awakening as we get into His presence. When we become glorified and perfect. I'm going to sing like pastor. It's going to take heaven to accomplish that. Let me say that. But we're going to be changed. And we'll be changed. And we will be like him. Because we will see him as he is. And he, we will reflect. But in the meantime. We who the Bible says were once alienated from God. Have heard the gospel. And Christ has been put into our hearts. We have replaced the Ark of the Covenant that sat in the holy place of the tabernacle, and only the high priest could go in once a year to that place. That's where God was. He was aloof and distant, and we sent a representative. God has come to us, and now there's no tabernacle or temple needed. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Can you realize that for you? The living God, the one that we worship and sing, he's made his residence in my heart. The potential is I could become the holy of holies in terms of God's residence. I doubt that will happen in this life, but you know what can happen is more and more I can look like the home where God lives, by my attitudes and my actions. If I submit. You know, you notice godly people, and godly people I've watched, as they get older, they grow more gentle and kind and loving. Because, and then on converse, some people who call themselves Christians and solid Christians, as they grow older, they become cynical and bitter and negative and my only explanation as i read the scripture is that one is allowing the spirit of god to blossom and bear fruit one way and the other is resisting the work of the holy spirit in his life and trying to hit the target on his own and that's futile it will never happen the only hope you and i have for making the mark is when we go to the finished work of the cross and rely on the work of Jesus and then embrace the presence of the living Holy Spirit with us in, in us. He will give us, by his presence in our lives, the promise that the unreachable can be achieved in some measure on a growing daily basis. So can we do that in the next week? The Ark of the Covenant... God's presence manner in the desert is God's provision and the Ten Commandments can now, can now become promises and next week as we finish this series we'll find that Aaron's staff at Butter will give us God's power to do things in his name where we can be fruitful we don't have to stay condemned by the Ten Commandments we don't have to stay missing the mark because God promises us, us if you're a believer in him That he's implanted in you his holy spirit and what he demands of us or asks of us is to release that power by our submission i give up my will and i submit to his will maybe we need to do that this morning maybe we can see that because it's easy to make a show when we come it's easy to get a people of this number and make a lot of singing noise and it sounds good but what does god see and what does god hear He sees our hearts and he hears what's going through our minds. May it be that he sees something of his spirit becoming alive. Christ in us is our hope of glory, something of the thing we've missed being reinstated into our life as we submit to his leadership and his authority, his ownership, his kingship in our lives. May God encourage us through the word of his his word today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for teaching us again that you are a God of grace. You're a God of compassion. We were lost, but you've come to us and you've found us. And now you've redeemed us through the blood of the cross of your son. And now you've done more than that. The spirit of God who was with the other people is now in us and our bodies are a temple of the living God. As we go out into this week, it's going to be hard because the world is missing the mark all around us. And so will we from time to time. But we will come back and see that as we rest in you and as we wait on you, your glory can, as it were, be reinstated into our lives even in some small and growing measure. May it be so for the glory of your name we pray. Amen. Amen.